From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. As Israel intensifies its genocidal campaign on the people of Gaza, tens of thousands are converging in Washington, D.C. for an historic national march to free Palestine. We're really watching history unfold right before our very eyes, and we can feel that the people of conscience, the free people of the world, you know, they're being called on to take a stance, to be on the right side of history. And the same week that the Biden administration compares the burgeoning pro-Palestinian protest movement to Nazis, it supports continued attacks on Palestinian civilians, fanning the flames of a possible wider war in the Middle East. Anybody who stands on the side of killing people cannot be allowed to continue, cannot be allowed to continue with that rhetoric. All that and more coming up. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. According to the Gaza Ministry of Health, more than 9,000 people in Gaza have been killed, with more than one-third of them children as a result of Israel's relentless bombing campaign on civilians. More than 400 of these deaths occurred during three recent consecutive missile strikes on the Jabalia United Nations refugee camp where a school and apartment building were among the targets. There's a lot of news this week, so I asked our geopolitical analyst, the activist and prolific author Gerald Horn, who I had to reach by phone this week to help us sort out the highlights. So, Gerald, what are your important updates from this week in this horrific and fast-moving situation? First of all, hearty congratulations to the heroic and courageous Code Pink and Medea Benjamin for interrupting the congressional testimony of Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. To paraphrase the late, great Che Guevara, we need to create one, two, three, many Medea Benjamins and Code Pink if we are to bring justice to this small planet. What they did on Capitol Hill just the other day was of a piece with the tens of thousands marching in Istanbul, the millions expected in London this weekend. And keep in mind as well that buoyed by this global mass protest against this genocidal war being conducted against civilians in Gaza, you had the path-breaking meeting in Turkey of the Iranian foreign minister and his Turkish counterpart. This was akin to the entente that was brokered by China between what we had thought were antagonists, speaking of Iran and Saudi Arabia. Keep in mind that until quite recently, perhaps even as we speak, Iran and Turkey have been clashing on the battlefield of Syria. So their coming together is an ominous signal to the war criminals in Israel. Along that line, pay careful and close attention to the vote by France at the General Assembly endorsing the move by the world's majority calling for minimally 
a humanitarian pause, if not a ceasefire, with regards to this bombing campaign, these massacres that are taking place in Gaza at the hands of the Israeli authorities, along that line, also pay careful and close attention to Lebanon, particularly by Friday afternoon. That is to say, after Friday prayers in Lebanon, the leader of Hezbollah may have an earth-shaking announcement himself. He has been eerily quiet since October 7th, and given the fact that Hezbollah sees itself in part as a protector of the Palestinians, we should not expect his silence to continue. Well, as we go to broadcast, there is so much speculation about an announcement that Hezbollah's leader may, may make. So what can you tell us about that? The expected Friday remarks of Nasrallah, of Hezbollah, no doubt are being anticipated because of the cruel and criminal bombing of a refugee camp in Gaza by the Israeli authorities, by their own admission. This was a war crime insofar as they have told us that they were trying to kill one particular Hamas leader, and they thought that killing dozens of civilians was worth the price. We can now expect a referral to the International Criminal Court in The Hague for prosecution of the Israeli leadership, that is to say, that if Mr. Netanyahu, the prime minister, is not jailed by Israeli courts because of his various transgressions domestically, he may be expected to be prosecuted by the ICC for his crimes against humanity in Gaza. That also helps to shed light on the remarkable breaking of relations between Bolivia and Israel, uh, not to mention the fact that Chile has withdrawn its ambassador from Israel along with Jordan. And we've already made reference to the very troubled relations between Colombia and Israel, which has a long history given the fact that Israelis were training death squads in that South American country not so long ago. I would also like to warn the White House spokesperson, Karine Jean-Pierre, that she should be careful when she compares pro-peace marches in U.S. cities to the outrageous pro-Klan marches in Charlottesville, which we were told by Mr. Biden himself helped to prompt him to run for president in the first instance. I think that the U.S. authorities, if they're not careful, will be opening themselves up to prosecution at the International Criminal Court as well. I should also say that with regard to international action, pay attention as well to what's going on at the United Nations. A few weeks ago, you saw clear coordination at the Security Council level between Russia and Brazil to try to force through a resolution that was vetoed by the United States that would have brought the Israeli leadership to heel. 
Now we see clear coordination between the Chinese delegation at the United Nations and their counterparts from the United Arab Emirates with regard to crafting resolutions, once again, to bring the Israeli authorities to heel. I think that it's not premature to suggest that we are living in the midst of a turning point in global history, not unlike 1945 with the end of World War II, not unlike 1917, 1918 with the end of World War I and the Bolshevik Revolution. If we are able to survive, I think that our grandchildren will look back to the fall of 2023 and say that this was a moment that we began to turn the tide against global imperialism and their henchmen in Israel. Well, that was my conversation with Gerald Horn, who also wanted to thank everyone who came out to see and meet him on October 27th at Montgomery College in downtown Silver Spring, Maryland. We had a wonderful time, and I also want to thank everyone also. It was so good to meet so many of On the Ground's listeners at the event. In culture and media, a whole host of actions are happening in D.C. to support Palestine. On the Ground spoke to organizers of a cultural night held November 2nd. My name is Aaron. So I'm here tonight because I'm the youth and student coordinator for the Claudia Jones School for Political Education, which is a popular political education project here in D.C. And um, we basically organize this event in conjunction with other organizations that are answering the call right now to defend Palestinian life and to defend Palestinian freedom. And so we're putting together this solidarity event because we believe it is important to stand with the Palestinian people against um, Israeli occupation. I think the current media coverage that we're, be, we're, we're seeing right now is kind of one of corporate hypocrisy. Um, on the one hand, you have these monopolies, these media monopolies that are demanding people um, condemn the Palestinian resistance movement without asking for any condemnation at all whatsoever of Israeli occupation, Israeli apartheid, and the really unprecedented military escalations that we've been seeing right now come out of Israel in response to the October 7th um, attack. The 15th annual Black March on the White House, which we have often covered, kicks off November 4th at 11 a.m. at Malcolm X Park. Visit blackpeoplesmarch.com. The National March on Washington to Free Palestine is also Saturday, March 4th, beginning at 2 p.m. at Freedom Plaza. For more information about this mass mobilization, visit peoplesforum.org or answercoalition.org. More on the National March on Washington to Free Palestine later in the show with one of the organizers. And those are our headlines and happenings. When we come back, Voices at Howard University, including Professor Greg Carr, in support of Palestine. Stay with us.
do, no matter the cost. Speaking the truth, inspire the mob. Defending the youth, Rehina Palestine, Kalina Ruh. Still got my Kofia doing Debke. Who can smoke on the streets? I'm relaxing. Black boy in Palestine, it's a blessing. Said it twice, cause it actually happened. I can wait to see him in my lifetime. Lifetime. Free Palestine. Palestine. I can wait to see him in my lifetime. Lifetime. I can wait to see you free. Free, 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 free Palestine. Palestine. I can wait to see you free. Free, 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 free Palestine. I can wait to see you free. I can't wait to see him in my lifetime. I just wanna see you free. I know it'll happen in the right time. But for now, I'ma breathe hey, on the beat. I got all my people on my side. Raise your kofias up high. I wanna see the flags in the sky. They ask me why I'm always wearing red, white, black, green. Baby, that's pride. Touchdown, it's gonna be a very long flight. I might be in a mall smoking hookah all night. I wanna do that cause I'm looking for a wife. I'm trying to put a ring on it if you're my type. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. I don't need your sympathy. I just wanna live in peace. Oh. We need unity all around the Middle East. Shout out to my brother Jay, always keep me on my dean. I can wait to see him my lifetime. Lifetime. Free Palestine. Palestine. I can wait to see him my lifetime. Lifetime. I can wait to see Free, 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 free. Free, Palestine. It has particular importance here on this camp. Because we know that we have a building on this campus named for a man whose office was right there in Douglas Hall, Ralph Johnson Bunch, born in Detroit, moved to L.A. when he was a student at UCLA. And then when he became a graduate student at Harvard, he was obsessed with the idea of self-determination. It was Ralph Bunch writing his doctoral dissertation while he taught in the political science department here at Howard. Ralph Bunch studying the French occupation of Togoland, what they call Togoland to say, these people should be able to govern themselves, and people should be able to determine their own fate. It was Ralph Bunch who got caught up working for the feds. The OSS, what becomes the CIA, what becomes the State Department. It was Ralph Bunch going to the United Nations who took over the negotiations. Once a terrorist Zionist organization shot and killed Count Bernadette, who had been deputized by the United Nations to settle what they were calling the Israeli Palestinian conflict, but there was no conflict, there was settler colonialism. Right. And it was Ralph Bunch who won the Nobel Prize in 1950 for the creation of the State of Israel. That's something that's celebrated on this campus by people who don't understand the politics. Ralph Bunch, like the American Negro, was an impossible person because black people in this country are impossible. We are at a university named for a man who was a military general who chased Chief Seattle all the way to the Pacific Ocean. Settler colonial Oliver Otis Howard. Talk about it. And we are a people who wear that red, white, and blue without ever thinking about the blood that drips from every one of those stripes and every one of those stars. The indigenous people, as Brother Abdullah said, the indigenous people of this land, the victims of settler colonialism, who still cry out for justice. The enslaved Africans, nobody who would walk around and say they respect Nat Turner or Denmark Vesey or Gabriel Prosser or the rebellious ones in South Carolina at Stono or in Louisiana at Pointe Coupe, those who participated on the Amistad uprising, on the Haitian Revolution. You can't now look away from Palestine. You can't pick who you choose to embrace when you're dealing with resistance. 
agree with everything that folks have said, and I'm not alone. And thank you. It's very important to understand. You all are a lot younger than I was when I had the opportunity to meet for the first time and befriend a person from Palestine. My friend Sammy Aish, I was in law school. 18 of us, black students in the Black Law Student Association in Ohio State after coming out of HBCU, Tennessee State. And once we got to Ohio, we joined the Black Law Students Association. And one day we were sitting, maybe a week into class, we're sitting in the Black Law Students room, and here comes this brother with a scarf on that I see a lot of people in here wearing right now. I said, who are you, man? My name is Sammy, see? I, of course, time did we have that scarf on. The same scarf. <laughs> and I said, okay, brother. He said, can I join the black law students? He was like, yeah, yeah, you can join us. <laughs> Sammy Aisha, Palestinian brother, rolled with us all three years of law school. We got a lot of hell over those three years from people who felt like they were on the right side of history, but they weren't. Right. He recently made transition this year, actually. But I remember when he came back to the office, with scars for all of us. We start wearing them around. You can imagine the reaction we got. We didn't care. And I'm blessed to have known that brother. But I'm bringing it up for this reason. The villain of this piece isn't, as you say, the religious differences. Those are religious differences. And they go back so far that people forget where they came from. Judaism, Islam, Christianity, all African exports. They've all been adapted to the various cultures of the people in the world. You're never going to disentangle that, and it's not necessary. You're absolutely right. This is 75 years. In fact, maybe, maybe in the 19th century, when you have people who have been persecuted themselves, run out of many countries, treated crazily since the Muslims and the Jews were in the Iberian Peninsula, what we now call Spain and Portugal. In the 8th century, 9th century, 10th century, the rise of European Christianity, otherwise known as Catholicism, and those people get expelled from the Iberian Peninsula and demonized, along with others like the Roma, who are called derogatorily the Gypsies. Europe has been fighting itself forever, and then they pull us into this mess. So those people looking for a home hadn't even settled on the idea that they should be in one place, because they might get wiped out. The Zionist movement, and I'm no expert on this, I read like everybody else, but when you see the history of the Zionist movement in the 19th century, there are debates among all these people, what should we do? We shouldn't be in one place, but the real villains of this piece, the ones that throw the rock and hide their hands are the Europeans, it was the British. Woo! It was the British while Ralph Bunch was writing his doctoral dissertation, while Ralph Bunch was talking about self-determination, it's the British occupying that region. At war, World War I, the end, the Ottoman Empire dissolving, the Palestinians in the balance, living in this land, and European Jewry not settled on which you willing to have one place being offered by the British various physical places. You read Robert Weisberg's book, African Zion? They propose Kenya. You want Kenya? You want Uganda? In other words, these settlers, these damn British, Occupying other people's territory, trying to shuttle off their problems on other people. Shame. Shame. And by 1947 and 48, they figured they had it out, but the United Nations said there must be a two-state solution. What these people in the press don't 
seem to want us to remember is that this was settled by international communities, not to anyone's pure liking, but peace had to be at the center of it. So what do you do in a situation like that? You exercise raw, naked power. And after that happened in 1948, and then we see the class again in 1973, and of course we talk about the Six Day War in the 60s, what, 1967, you see people who had never been interested in peace, only interested in occupying other people's space. Right. And I'm going to end with this. Even as we hear today that a criminal named Benjamin Netanyahu, a war criminal, with his war criminal cabinet. Military men. Anytime you get somebody like Wolf Blitzer to ask you to say again, did you just bomb a camp to get at one person? You telling me you killed all these people in this camp? And to get at one person, well, did you get him? They're not even trying to hide it now. But they are becoming something that people who live in Israel are also victims of. You're going to make everybody fake members of a pariah state. And you can't walk that back. So what I want to end with is this. There is no human being on this planet who is not worth exactly as much as any other human being. The villain of this whole tragedy is the nation state. It's the idea that where you came out of your mother's womb somehow determines your level of access to humanity. Citizenship is the true villain of this whole conversation. We say we are citizens. I would know I ain't no citizen. I'm a human being. Human rights, as Malcolm said. When Martin and Coretta King visited the camps and he came back to Dexter Avenue Baptist, I was just in Montgomery three weeks ago, Alabama. He went into Dexter Avenue Baptist Church and talked about the rights of these people who have been dispossessed. When Muhammad Ali and Stokely Carmichael and Malcolm X, as you said, one by one, everybody going there said, this must end. Anybody who stands on the side of killing people cannot be allowed to continue. Cannot be allowed to continue with that rhetoric. And so, I'm very proud of everyone here. We should not be able to get to this flagpole for the people that should be here. As people are taking their money back, John Husband, $20 million from the University of Pennsylvania, as, a, as Larry Summers, Barack Obama's Secretary of the Treasury, attacks Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, the first black woman to be president of Harvard, and attacks her because he said, you didn't come down hard enough. You go to hell. We need to roll over these people like the ocean. You are standing against our common humanity, and you must be remade. You must be transformed. But what you're not going to do, what you're not going to do, is stand against our common humanity and sleep peacefully at night. You're not going to do that. So come get me, Delaney, because I, 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 I'll keep going. Because otherwise, I, I just want you all to know that we are all together. Let's give it up for Dr. Carr with a little bit more energy. Thank you all so much for being here tonight. Uh, I'm with um, Falilo. My name is Falilo. 
Palelo, um, and uh, you're a Howard University student. Um, why, um, why did you come out today? I feel like it was more than necessary. I feel like we we're lucky to be here in this country, being safe, while other people are being killed in Gaza, like they're saying. And as a Muslim, first of all, I feel like it's a responsibility to uh, tell people what is really happening in, on the other side of the world. And, you know, try to gather and bring people together to try to work this problem out. That's what I think. My name is Ahmad Mohammed. Honestly, it's, it transcends being a Palestinian and it transcends being a person from Gaza. It's about being human being. It's about the hu it's, it's the human nature for us to want to protect humans. This is a humanitarian catastrophe, crisis, genocide that's happening. Let, let, let alone being Palestinian, it's about being a human being. Wanting to actually help the people that are being killed. Wanting to show our support for these people that don't have a voice outside of Palestine. They don't have a voice outside of Gaza. It's about standing up for them, for their rights. To not just protest and not just resist, but to, just to live. To be able to live in their own country. Free of bombs, free of explosions, free of airstrikes, free of this brutal disgusting occupation by the hands of the terrorist Israeli government. Uh, you said you, you have family in Gaza? Yes. Okay. And um, I know um, uh, there are other parts of the country and universities that uh, the student body is under a lot of uh, pressure for speaking out. Um, what is your experience here at uh, Howard University? Just like any institution, they've been silent for the most part. Only recently have they come out with a statement, and the statement is just, it's a very neutral, very, you know, um, you know, just standing on like the, on the tippy toes, to, uh, talking about we don't want any kind of destruction, no death, no, something like that, but they're not getting to the root cause of what is going on. Occupation, genocide, re Palestinians resisting occupation for their, for, uh, um, against the Israeli government. That kind of that kind of rhetoric is not being spoken um, at Howard University or at almost any institution because of the fear of what might happen. Because of the fear that oh, we might not get more funding from the government. We might not get uh, we might not get as much funding. We we might have to X Y Z. That's the rhetoric. That's the that's the problem going on. No one wants to take a, a strict stance. And again, it's not a Palestinian issue. It's a human issue. We want to just see people not be killed not children murdered not women killed under on you know whole houses whole neighborhoods being decimated it's a human issue just say we condemn the the death the genocide occurring in palestine the genocide occurring in gaza hi i'm delaney i'm a sophomore here at howard university and i'm representing students for socialism dmv i think as a black american it's so crucial that we stand in solidarity with palestinians across the sea because first of all there's a long history of black and palestinian solidarity together right and so we have to continue to uphold that radical history of constantly being in connection with one another because we're, we both know what it means to be colonized we know what it means to not have sovereignty over our own communities we know what it means to not have the right to 
to live peacefully. We know what it means to be over-policed. And so our liberation has always been connected. Israeli police, the IDF, actually work in tandem with the United States police forces, such as NYPD, the Houston police force, and they collaborate and they train and they work on what are the best ways to continue to kill their people. And so knowing that they, there is that connection between our police states, it's important that we resist and oppose them. And we also stand for each other's liberation as much as possible. So I think it's so crucial as a black American, particularly as a student at HBCU, that I continue to be so vocal about Palestinian liberation. Jenna Al-Masri, I'm a junior finance major here at Howard. I can say I'm appalled. I can say that there is a cast of depression that is taking over the lives of Palestinian people. We are dying. We are getting genocided. There is a genocide occurring in Gaza right now. And as an ummah, as a, as a family of people who care about humans and just survival and the liberation of oppressed indigenous people, we are hurting. We are hurting and we see every killed child, every murdered child, every child that their limbs have been blown off, every man, woman who their limbs are they're unidentifiable. They can't match it to the bodies. Heads are everywhere. So I can say that we've taken note of that. The world has taken note of it. And the events that are occurring in Gaza right now are not going unnoticed. You just heard voices of those rallying for Palestine at Howard University on Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. The first speaker was Greg Carr, Associate Professor of Afro-American Studies at Howard. This is On the Ground. Stay with us. is on the ground on the ground show.org voices of resistance from the nation's capital i'm esther Ivarum, and now i'm joined by sarah abdel shami she's an organizer with the palestinian youth movement one of the key organizations putting together the historic march on washington to free palestine happening saturday november 4th meeting at freedom plaza at 2 p.m welcome to on the ground sarah hi thank you for having me Well, I want to start with what's happening in Gaza. I don't want to switch right to the march because as a Palestinian, I want to know what you have to say about this moment in history when we are witnessing genocide in Gaza. So what we're seeing unfold today is a brutal genocide against the people of Gaza. Israel has been targeting civilian infrastructures, hospitals, schools, journalists, families, they've committed massacres in in refugee camps. And we see that the media, that the Western officials are complicit and directly responsible for this genocide. 
we've seen demonization and dehumanization of Palestinian people in the Western media. We've seen that the massacre, for example, in Al-Ahli Hospital was actually enabled by Western media reporting. And the United States, the United Kingdom, they blocked a UN Security Council resolution that was calling for a ceasefire. And so we see that this is not just a genocide, it's also a propaganda war that uh, the Western media and its governments have been shamelessly peddling. One of the things that I know the activists here in the D.C. area have experienced, they've experienced uh, a lot of attacks on them as students or people who are active in universities, colleges. And I know this has been going on for a while. We did a report on Canary Mission, the really heinous website that targets uh, students, professors, other people to try to ruin their careers and label them as terrorists or whatever because they support the freedom of Palestinian people. I want you to tell our listeners about just the process of being an organizer for Palestine and how the young people in your organization do your work and how you've been targeted. Mm -hmm. Because the Western states and the places where we organize, I mean, we're organizing in the belly of the beast, in the heart of the empire. And so um, it goes without saying that there's a lot of ways that they're going to be using fear, repression, and intimidation to deter any movement and any organizing that is for the liberation of Palestine or that goes against, you know, their, to put it plainly, their political and economic interests. We understand these to be tactics of deterrence. It's ways to strip people from their power and from their agency and from taking an active role in the struggle. And so what we've been seeing right now in the past 20-ish days is, you know, a crackdown and a huge uh, repression on uh, not just organizers, but also students and anyone that is supporting Palestinians. And we see this in the media and in our state officials that make it seem like if you are supporting Palestinian liberation, then you're supporting terrorism. And this is a way to silence people. But we're also seeing across the globe millions of people take to the streets. People are taking firm stances, absolute stances. People in the UN, for example, have been resigning, right? And so we see that these tactics of deterrence, which have historically always been used by empire, is not actually deterring the people from taking part in mass mobilizations in support of the Palestinian people. And it's not deterring people and students from taking an active role in the struggle for liberation. Last week, we mentioned how one of the Republican candidates for president, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, uh, moved to ban all chapters of Students for Justice in Palestine on Florida campuses. And Tim Scott, who is also running as a Republican, 
Uh, he's a senator right now. He wanted to recommend that students not from this country who participate in rallies be deported. So obviously you have these very authoritarian measures being either enacted or proposed here. And if you combine this with the the savagery of the uh, Israeli assault on Gaza, you can really see all the elements of a fascist state existing here. And that's something that we've talked about on this show a lot. This week, these repeated airstrikes on a refugee camp in Gaza. And then on top of that, the White House comparing people who come out to protest, people who will come out to protest on Saturday, November 4th here in D.C., comparing them to the neo-Nazis and Nazis that marched in Charlottesville, Virginia. I think it's 2017. (laughs) Um, And so you have that coming from the highest office and it's leaving a lot of people in shock, basically, to have social justice being compared to these kinds of fascist elements. But I want to go back to something you just said about how millions of people are coming out around the world because as organizers of this historic march that's on November 4th, I just wanted to kind of get your reaction to the response you've gotten from hundreds of organizations and individuals and coalitions that are coming together to support this march. November 4th, I think we're going to be witnessing the largest march for Palestine in U.S. history. This will be a historic march. And this march, including the ones that have been erupting across the world, will be examples of stunning displays of international solidarity in history. We're really watching history unfold right before our very eyes. And we can feel that the people of conscience, the free people of the world, you know, they're being called on to take a stance, to be on the right side of history. It feels like the whole world is watching because the whole world is watching. And so I think that because also this march is a culmination of the 75 years of struggle and steadfastness and commitment, people who are living in the heart of the empire are refusing more and more to be complicit in the international war machine. And like you said, as this complicity bears its teeth and becomes more explicit and harder to ignore, more and more people are coming out in support. And, you know, I just want to talk specifically about the role of the U.S., You know, these missiles and bombs that are raining down on the Palestinian people of Gaza, and they're raining down like water, they're being paid for by U.S. taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're talking about $3.8 billion in military aid. That, That is an absurd amount of money. And meanwhile, in America, the poverty rate is skyrocketing. We're facing financial housing, healthcare crisis. Instead of using tax money to alleviate the material conditions of the American people, the U.S. is bankrolling genocide. And so this stunning show of solidarity that we're seeing across the country where organizations and people are coming out to endorse this historic march is really, it's very heartwarming, but it's also, it's necessary It's a responsibility because we need to put pressure more than ever before to stop this international war machine. You know, one of the things that I think has happened since this most recent wave of of uprising against apartheid Israel is that 
more people are being educated about that history. For example, I remember a few years ago, we covered a program here about the Nakba. And it was a, a nice room filled with people who came out and were educated. But now, because of this crisis and this catastrophe, uh, this genocide happening in Gaza, uh, more people are learning that this current attack on Gaza, it didn't start after November 7th, that it is a result, as you said, of 75 years of uh, displacement and murder of Palestinian people beginning in 1948 when the Nakba happened, which is a catastrophe. So more and more people are learning about that. I'm hearing more and more people who are educated people, college educated people saying that they didn't realize what the occupation was, you know, they thought that that these were periodic eruptions of people who were living side by side who couldn't get along, right? They didn't understand that uh, Gaza is an open-air prison, that the UN said as of 2021 would be unlivable. And so this is two years after that. So even before these current bombardments and, and the annihilation of entire families, there was already a, a deficit of drinking water with the sewage treatments and water treatment plants being bombed and destroyed and the, the food rationing and just the quality of life in Gaza was so poor. Um, but I wanted to ask you about some other things because it will be some time before we really know what happened on October 7th. There have been some reports that it was the Israeli forces that actually killed a lot of their own people. I'm not saying that Hamas killed no one, but that when it came to many of these hostage situations, the Israeli forces came in and killed everybody, Hamas and the hostages as well. And whereas Hamas was trying to do what they've been trying to do since then is to trade these Israeli hostages for all the Palestinian political prisoners who are held, thousands of them, including many children in Israeli prisons. But I want you to talk a little bit about the other things that led up to October 7th. For example, for the past two years, we've been talking about uh, Israelis uh, uh, invading Al-Aqsa Mosque, the repeated uh, attacks by settlers on the West Bank, uh, invading and destroying uh, Palestinian homes and villages and schools on the West Bank. And very often these settlers have been uh, accompanied by Israeli soldiers. So it's not just Gaza, but it's almost like the West Bank is is um, has been targeted as well. And is just an obvious uh, effort to just remove all Palestinians from Palestine. Yeah, I think this is really important because the world and the media will have us believe that this war started on October 7, but we know that it's been ongoing for 75 years. You brought up the issue of prisoners, and I actually want to pause and really expand on this point, right? Because before October 7, the Zionist entity had about 5,000 prisoners, okay? This number has now reached 10,000. So most of these prisoners are held in administrative detention, which essentially means that they are held with no charge, no trial. Mm -hmm. And 200 of those who are in administrative detention are minors, okay? So, and prisoners, they're prevented from accessing medical care, they are starved. They're cut off from water and electricity. 
almost every single person who was arrested is assaulted. Many of the prisoners' limbs, hands, and legs are broken. They are subjected to torture and they're stripped of any dignity, right? And so in only 12 days, the Zionist entity has doubled the number of Palestinians that are in its custody. They've arrested people, laborers from Gaza. They've arrested more than a thousand people in the occupied West Bank. And in the past week, a 25-year-old prisoner, Arafat Hamdan, was actually killed by torture in prison just two days after his arrest. And that came 24 hours after another prisoner, Omar Daraghme, was also tortured to death. And so in these past two weeks alone, we've seen Israel indiscriminately bomb civilians in the Gaza Strip, mass imprison and torture Palestinians in the West Bank as a form of collective punishment, and displace thousands of Palestinians. And these things, like you mentioned, they are not unique to the to, to this moment. They've been ongoing for 75 years, but we're just seeing an escalation of this of the Zionist aggression on the Palestinian people. And this just shows that the Zionist project is a project of elimination. It's a settler colonial project that seeks to eliminate the Palestinian people. And it has only reached heightened levels, but it's always it was always there and they always utilize the same methods. And this uh, genocidal campaign has operated on multiple fronts for for 75 years now. Uh, I was speaking to Miko Pellet last week and he brought up the fact that uh, like a ceasefire is not good enough. Like he appreciates all the rallies, people calling for ceasefire now, but really what will happen after that? How will people in Gaza survive after their already obliterated open air prison has been, you know, turned to further rubble. Right. So, Mm it's obvious that something has to happen to make Palestinians whole, to allow them to return to their land, to allow them to, to live with human dignity. So what do you see happening after we are able to stop these bombs from dropping and, you know, hold those accountable for war crimes? What happens after that? Yeah. I want to say a couple of things. First, I think it's really important to understand the gravity of what's happening, okay? Mm -hmm. So we are seeing a bombard, like a bombing campaign that is currently happening on the people, on the people of Gaza. This is an unprecedented amount of bombs on the most populated Mm -hmm. and densely populated areas of the world. And so the ceasefire is necessary because without a ceasefire, the daily massacres, and this is, I would even say it's hourly massacres of the Palestinian people will continue. Civilian infrastructures are being destroyed. These are hospitals, schools, mosques, churches, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the hospitals right now are inoperable. They don't have electricity or fuel. Doctors are actually operating with no anesthesia in the streets. You know, doctors that uh, at any moment could and have seen uh, their own family members come in on a stretcher being martyred, right? Mm -hmm. So they are locked into this terrifying hell under a cruel bombardment campaign. And this is a campaign that, you know, whether or not we like it, we're complicit in. 
you know, by virtue of, of where we are situated uh, geographically. And we've seen the imperial powers time after time refusing to pass motions of ceasefire. Refusing a ceasefire is actually giving a green light for Israel's genocidal campaign in Gaza. And I also want to say that the U.S., by refusing to call for a ceasefire, actually has blood on their hands. And so it's our responsibility here also to call on our elected officials, on our states, uh, and, and to, to change public opinion, to say, you know, when thousands of people and even millions of people are marching on the streets, we're saying that our state officials are not representing public opinion. And so when we're calling for a ceasefire, and Joe Biden goes and is refusing to pass these motions, we're saying that the American people do not want to be complicit in this genocide. And so it's right. actually really important right now, more than ever, to center the ceasefire demand. And this, obviously, this demand comes hand in hand with our other demands of ending U.S. aid to Israel of lifting the siege on Gaza, the suffocating siege on Gaza, and of course of, uh, of liberating Palestine from the river to the sea and liberating Palestinian people from, from this genocidal project called Zionism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As an African-American, I've often wondered at how people could look at the same horrific situation and see it two different ways in the the United States, not seeing police victims, people like George Floyd, people like Eric Garner or Sandra Bland as human beings, that even after mass uprisings, there'll be some people who blame George Floyd for his own death. Mm. They'll They'll blame Eric Garner or Sandra Bland for her, her death. And they will not see them as human. They don't see them worthy uh, of empathy, any type of empathy as human beings. And that's what I see happening with some people steadfast in their refusal to have empathy for the Palestinian people. When you had these officials in Israel, uh, in apartheid Israel, refer to Palestinians as human animals, that kind of reverberates with a certain portion of the population. You have someone like Senator Lindsey Graham saying, oh, there shouldn't be any limit on civilian casualties. So these are heinous, fascistic, murderous statements by people in high office. And I just wanted to, you know, just get some sense from you, if you can relate to what I'm saying. Yeah, this goes back to something I was saying at the beginning, which is that, this war that is being waged against the Palestinian people, part of it is also a propaganda war, right? It's a war that seeks to dehumanize and vilify Palestinian, Arab, and Muslim people. Obviously, we saw this happen in Chicago where a six-year-old uh, Wadiyar was murdered by his landlord. And this is a person that he knew and actually The reports have said that when the landlord came into the apartment, they opened the door to him and welcomed him because this is a friend. And the six-year-old boy, child, Wadia, actually ran into, uh, into the arms of the man because, you know, he thought, you know, this is someone that they knew and he, he was stabbed to death. So we're actually seeing 
right? We're seeing that how the Western media is trying to espouse these Palestinian demonstrations and people as being supporters of terrorism. And this is enabling and it's welcoming these heinous crimes and acts of aggression on Muslim and Arab and Palestinian people in the West. And they need to be held responsible. They are directly responsible for this genocide in Gaza and also the increase in hate that was created because of this uh, this propaganda war. I also just wanted to say that the media and a lot of uh, the people in power they they kind of they frame this war as if it's a it's a war between Muslims and Jews, right? Right. But this is a war of a colonized people against their colonizer. Right. You know, it's plain and simple. And so the struggle for Palestinian liberation is is a struggle for for everyone, right? It's for all oppressed people. We we have a shared struggle with um, the oppressed people of the world. And there's actually a quote um, by Hassan Kanafani that um, I want to mention. It's the Palestinian cause will never die because it's not just a political cause. It's a humanitarian cause, right? It's a, it's a cause for it's a call it's a cause for all people and it's not about religion it's actually about freedom and justice it's about liberation and the occupation that we are seeing right now is a crime it's not a conflict and it's not a war it's it's a genocide is there anything that you want to say because i know we're we're running out of time here and i want to give you the last word if there's something i didn't ask you about that you're burning to say <laughs> Yeah, I think the last thing I want to say is just the Palestinian youth movement is calling on the American people to join us on this historic march on November 4th. It's extremely, extremely vital and it's extremely important that all of our efforts are united right now. It's important it's extremely important that the diplomatic cover that the that America provides to Israel and this carte blanche that they provide them for them to do as they please for decades in disregard of international law, this must come to an end. And so we're calling on the American people to join us on November 4th at 2 p.m. in Washington, D.C., for what will surely be a historic march. We're calling on people to be on the right side of history because the world is watching and this will go down in history as one of the most stunning displays of international solidarity that we have seen in our in recent history. You know, some people will be actually hearing this show after the 4th. And so if they want to connect with Palestinian Youth Movement or any of the affiliated coalition, how, how can they get involved? How can they how can they join you? Yeah, I mean, the Palestinian Youth Movement has uh, chapters across 14 cities uh, in in the U.S. And so I would encourage people to reach out to the chapters that are in their cities and to get involved. Now is the time to mobilize and to organize yourselves um, 
in these uh, organizations. And so the Palestinian youth movement is an open space for Palestinian and Arab youth to take an active role in the struggle for liberation. And also we, and we have an open door for all allies and for the American people to also take an active role in this struggle. Because as I said, this is a struggle for people's liberation from colonization. And we must be united in the full and unconditional right for the Palestinian people to be liberated from this colonial domination and this racist uh, occupation. Okay. I've been joined by Sarah Abdel-Shami of the Palestinian Youth Movement. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. On the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show, and we are in need of your support. If you rely on the show, if you listen to the show, you come to look forward to what we are able to offer every week, please support us on Patreon at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash on the ground show. And you can also give on our website through PayPal or other means if you want to send a check. All that information is there. But please, please support us. I want to thank our supporters on Patreon so much. And for those who are already supporting, if you can tell a friend who you know would love to sign up, we need the support. Patreon.com forward slash on the ground show or go to on the ground show.org. Thank you. And Sarah Abdel Shami of the Palestinian Youth Movement will have the last word on today's episode of On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. Don't forget the National March on Washington to Free Palestine is Saturday, November 4th, beginning at 2 p.m. at Freedom Plaza. For more information, visit peoplesforum.org or answercoalition.org. Of course, if you're hearing this program after the march, you can use those websites to connect to live streams and, and other reporting on the march and of course we'll have our reporting on our next show you can contact us work with us support us and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain on the if you like the show let us know by liking us on facebook or twitter or on patreon.com forward slash on the ground show our podcast is on the ground with esther Averam, and that's on all your podcast platforms The music we play this hour included Palestine by Carlos Vivanco, A Free Palestine by Jay Dean and Wahab Nassan, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take care and keep raising your voice. Peace.